It's also good to see it's a, a giant there at the back wearing red. It's good to see you back, Patrick. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 1 to 8. And it reads, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Lord, I I pray that you will speak to us this morning, that your word will be imprinted in our hearts. Oh, Lord, um, help us to hear what you are saying to us. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you um, may know, Melissa and I had planned now for a few months uh, to travel to Brazil this coming week. And some of you have asked what is happening with that, and as it stands, we we are still able um, to go. But let me ask you this question: How many of you, when this year started, said, "I want I'm, this year I'm going to get into shape"? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. There's some honest people putting their hands up. Yeah, thank you. There we go. So I was one of those as well. When this year started, I'm like, we're going to get into shape and, and do exercise and eat better. Um, and the whole year passed. <laughs> and, <laughs> but <clears throat> beginning of November, beginning of November, I said, okay, in just over a month, I'm going to Brazil. And... Is we, we're planning to go to the beach and I want to really eat with no restrictions. I have to lose some weight now. <laughs> and so from the past month or so, it's been like real work. I've found Pastor Charles, let's run, even though he's in a different level and I <laughs> behind him and trying to eat properly. And yeah. Five kilos less, that's, that's not too bad. 
But I all along had this, you know, need to lose weight and, and get into shape. But now there was a real fuel, a real motivation that is like driving me to exercise more and, and eat less and, and all of that. And today, I want us to see similarly, what is the fuel to do good works? We all know we have to do good works, but what fuels, what drives us into doing good works? So just for a little bit of context, the book of Titus, a letter from Paul to Titus, as he tries to establish some churches in Crete, and they need good leadership, they need some good elders, and they are threatened by false teachers who are mainly from the circumcision party trying to bring some of the Jewish roots back into <clears throat> church. And these teachers, these false teachers, are not teaching what is right, and it is evident in their behavior. And so here's my first point. Belief gives birth to behavior. Belief gives birth to behavior. And this, this is in all of life. I have a, a missionary friend that was a missionary in, Ka- in Kazakhstan. And he told us that in Kazakhstan, some of the children use some kind of bracelet that they suppose, is supposed to protect them from the spirits. And so the missionary's children were not using it. And, and, uh, and the other kids were all like, What's going on? How come you're not using the bracelets to protect you from the spirits? And they're like, no. They're laughing. This is nonsense. We don't, we don't believe in that. And then, on the other hand, when my missionary friend will tell his Kazakh friends that if you come to South Africa in some of those quarter camps, you'll see beds elevated on bricks because of the tokolosh. And so... <laughs> The people of Kazakhstan were laughing. I was like, no, what, what is this? This is ridiculous. My point being that belief gives birth to behavior. If you believe that this is a toggler, they will put the bed elevated in, in the bricks. And so we see here, if you turn back to chapter 1, just a few pages. Look at what Paul is saying regarding these false teachers. Chapter 1, verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You know, you see what Paul is saying here? They profess to know God, but their lives don't show that. There is a disconnect between I confess to know God and what their lives look like. Their lives are not portraying and showing that they truly know God. And so Paul, in contrast, he's going to spend what actually godly living looks like because they were professing to know God but living ungodly lives. So whole of chapter 2 into chapter 3, Paul is giving 
instructions, behavioral showing is like, this is what a godly living looks like. And so going back to our text, just some of the, the things that he says. And I think they are just as relevant today as they were back then. Here are a few things. They ought to be submissive to rulers and authorities. They ought to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. Just pause there. Even in social media. (laughs) Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. To be gentle. To be gentle. I have really been reminded of this character trait as I'm going through a book, Gentle and Lowly. It's at the heart of who Christ is. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And we, and we need that, especially on social media and Twitter. Man, there's no courtesy. So Paul instructs all these behavioral things. These are all behavioral things. But where does he ground this? Why does he instruct them in this? What is the basis? Is it just because Paul wants them to be good citizens? Is it just because Paul has authority over them and can tell them what to do? Where does these instructions come from? Or these behavioral instructions come from? What is the basis for them to behave like this? Going to our, my second point. It is the gospel. The gospel. From verse 3 onwards, this is where he's going to point out. So, as a subheading, just let us look at this uh, few things. Firstly, the depravity of man. Look at what he says in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Now, isn't it interesting? Paul starts with the words, for we ourselves. And he is reminding Titus, we, Paul and Titus, we ourselves, remember, we were once like that. And the contrast here is against those false teachers. We were once disobedient, hated by others, and hating one another, having our own uh, passions and pleasures. We ourselves were like that. And, and believers, we need to be reminded of this. You were not born a Christian. You are not born into Christ. As Jabba reminded us a few weeks ago, you were born again. And sometimes the reason why people look at believers and think, oh, they're so arrogant. Because some believers are arrogant. Because they think they have their act together and that just They were born like that. No, we were once foolish, disobedient, hating one another. 
And there is no basis for a, an air of superiority from our side. As if we were never there. Paul reminds Titus of this. Remember how we were. But look at how Paul describes us before Christ. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions. Can I just pause there? What does what does the word slave mean? You are unable to get out. You are slave to those fleshly desires and passions. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is the description Paul gives of each one of us before Christ. Now, let me ask you this question. Does this sound like someone who is looking after God? Does this sound like someone who is wanting to do God's will? Searching after God? And, and there is this thought in society that man is either good or he is neutral. He only does bad things because he was taught like that or with some circumstances. I, I heard this point being made and I can't remember where. But have you noticed in current movies, there is a trend now. Before, old movies had bad guys, good guys, clear distinctions. Now it's different. Now, some of the movies, what they are doing is they're portraying the villains in a different perspective. Because they only villains because something really bad happened to them. Or there was something that made them become villains and actually portrays the villains as victims. Something really bad happened. That's the only reason. And then you actually start feeling sorry for, for the villain. I don't know if you noticed that. And... And I'm not for a second denying that we live in a bro broken world and circumstances do affect us. My point is that we are no blank slate as if we are only the product of our circumstances. No. Our hearts are filled, we're filled with with fleshly desires, hatred, and malice. We are not a blank slate. We are not in a neutral ground. We were not good. Sin of Adam stained us all. We were hopeless. But God... But God, these two words are some of the most amazing words in the New Testament. But God, Job Wilson has a, a jersey with that. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. 
He saved us. And, and we need to get that, that we did not save ourselves. And, and it, we were not coming towards Him. We were happy with our passions and our fleshly desires. We were not coming towards Him. He saved us. And, and if you didn't get what Paul says, he, he go, he's going to go on to explain and expand on this to just make sure you get the message. Because he says, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not because of anything we have done. But according to His own mercy. But according to His own mercy. What does this mean? What does this imply? If it is according to His mercy that He saved us, God does not owe salvation to anyone. We, nobody in this entire world is entitled to be saved. It is by His mercy. It was done because of His mercy. And as R.C. Pro says, mercy that is demanded is no longer mercy. He saved us. He rescued us from slavery of sin. He saved us from passions and hatred and foolishness. Uh, and, and this is, when I, when I sometimes hear people say, well, it's unfair that God saved some people and, and, and not others. And I think to myself, then you're viewing human beings wrongly. Because... That implies that everyone ought to be saved as if human beings were neutral and not perpetrators. He saved us. He rescued us. Can you see what an amazing salvation this is? We are not coming towards Him and He saved us. But now, I don't know if you've ever stopped to think, how did he do that? Because according to the text, our hearts and our desires and all of this was going one way. How did we ever get to the point to, to respond positively to the call of God? How did we ever come to a point that saying, I'm a wretched sinner, Lord, please save me? How did we ever get that? How, how, how did we get there? Because what the Bible says is that an unregenerate heart cannot please God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever, whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Romans 8.8 8, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So J.I. Parker says, Sinners cannot obey the gospel any more than the law without renewal of heart. And so how would we ever get to the point of responding positively to the call of God, the call of the gospel? 
the text tells us regeneration of the Spirit. Look at that in verse 5. But according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And this is spoken about in different passages. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. John 3, 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So that's the answer. The Holy Spirit works within our hearts and change our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh that we say, Lord, I am filled with sin. Please save me. The theologian John Owen says, In regeneration, a person, the Holy Spirit, makes use of the law and the gospel. It is not only a moral, but also a direct, nature-changing work of the Spirit on the minds or souls of men in regeneration. The Holy Spirit changes our nature and enable us, as we hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and say, man, it gives us a, 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 a real picture of who we are. Sinners, wretched men, filled with fleshly desires that we say, wow, I need a Savior. I need God. John Owen again says, to say that we are able by our own efforts to think good thoughts or give God's spiritual obedience before we are spiritually regenerate is to overthrow the gospel and the faith of the universal church in all ages. So as, as a person listens to the gospel, that's, that's the means. So that's why we preach the gospel constantly. Then the Holy Spirit uses the gospel to convict the hearts and change the nature so that people can respond and surrender their lives to Christ and trust in Jesus Christ. And, but this is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot trigger it by force of will. This is a supernatural work. And, and I have seen it. I mean, I, I was in youth ministry for, uh, for a few years. And, and I, I, I just saw this. Same message Friday after Friday, preaching the gospel. And then one of the young people will come alive from dead to life. And is firing Christ and, and wants to pray and wants to start Bible studies. And this other one, nothing. Just keeps getting into trouble, got a, a, a girl pregnant, and is just a mess. What is it about? It's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people, making the dead come alive. So Paul reminds Titus of this, of this salvation, but not only that, of the rewards and benefits that we get. And just briefly there, he mentions that we, in verse 7, 
so that being justified by His grace. Here's the, one of the great benefits of, of salvation. We have been declared righteous in the eyes of God, not because of our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness being imputed in us. We are declared not guilty. We have been justified. We become heirs and receivers of eternal life in verse 7. What, what great benefit is this? But then he, he goes on. And, and this, is, this is kind of like a sandwich, the way that Paul does it. He starts the first few verses. You must do good works. The gospel, the burger, nice meat, juicy. And then he goes on again to say, you must do good works. Look at verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. We are saved to do good works. He says, insist on these things. Insist believers must be devoted to do good works. This is the evidence that you have been saved. It's good works. Isn't that what James speaks on his book? Faith without works is dead. If you say that you have faith but have no works, your faith is dead, non-existent. True faith in Jesus Christ produces good works. Now, believers, I want to caution us with two things. And we, as here at Central, we are a conservative, Bible-believing church. We esteem the Bible very highly as the final authority, and we aim for um, doctrinal accuracy. But I do want to give us a warning that... You, can, you may be concerned so much about your doctrinal stance of not being saved by works that you don't do any work. You've missed the plot. You've missed the plot. A true understanding of the gospel and of the scripture shows that good works is the outflow of true salvation. And so, uh, as, as good in theology as we want to be, you must do good works and be devoted to that. That doesn't save you. Abundantly clear about that. But we ought to be devoted to do good works. Just say you will know them by their fruits. And another caution, and maybe this is even firstly for me, But, for example, <clears throat> social justice, I believe, is one of the biggest threats to the current church. I think that ideology is 
rotten to the core. However, we do need to guard our hearts of not being compassionate and help the poor and the, weeder, and the widows with fear that we will be branded as social justice warriors. No, we must help the poor and the needy and the widows. And that's just being biblical. That's the works that come and outflow from true conversion, from true salvation. Our lives ought to be different. But my point this morning is here. You all, all of us know that we must do good works. But what I'm pointing out this morning is that the gospel is the fuel. The gospel is that drive. And so there is really two options here. If you're not doing good works, you need to consider, have you truly trusted Christ Jesus? Have you truly been regenerated by the Spirit? Because the outflow of that is you're going to do good works. Or maybe this morning you need to be reminded you need to go back to the gospel and what Christ has done for you. That is the fuel and drive for us to do good works. The gospel is the drive, is the fuel. And I hope that we here at Central will be a church that abounds in good works. Not because we're trying to earn salvation or, or look at the camera, I'm doing something great. But because of the gospel, because of what has happened in your life. What Christ has done for us. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you thankful that you saved us. We did not save ourselves. We could not. We were not able to. We were happy in our own passions and desires. But because of your mercy, your grace towards us, Christ came to come flesh. That's what we sing about in the carols. The incarnation of Jesus Christ took our place, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, bearing the full wrath of God for our sins. Oh God, glory, glory to you, to your name. What a great salvation we have experienced, oh Lord. Lord, help us not just be stuck, but that our lives will be abundant in good works because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, would you please, please help us that it will be evidence as we live that Christ has indeed redeemed us and changed our nature. Please help us, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.